This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. Elon Musk, the richest man on the planet, could have ended homelessness in the United States unilaterally. He could have tackled the issue of global hunger, world poverty. But instead, he chose to use his wealth to buy Twitter one of the largest social media platforms. Yeah, now it's clear that he was unhappy with the way that Twitter was managed, but rather than talking to the manager of Twitter, when you're a billionaire and you're a Karen, you just straight up buy the company itself. So as The Verge explains, Twitter has accepted Elon Musk's offer to purchase the company for $44 billion, the company announced in a press release today. Musk purchased the company at $54.20 a share, the same price named in his initial offer on April 14th. Free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy and Twitter is the digital town square, where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated, said Musk in a statement included with the release. I also want to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with new features, making the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeating the spam bots, and authenticating all humans. Now, soon after people began to react to the headlines, he specifically took to Twitter with a message for his critics. Stay on the platform. Don't go anywhere. I love free speech, so uh, I welcome you as well. He said, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that is what free speech means. So in other words, Elon Musk will graciously allow us to continue to post this image right here. So really appreciate him letting us do that. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's one of my favorite images of Elon Musk personally. He looks very uh, happy in this particular photo with his friend. Don't know what her name is there. Perhaps he knows. Uh, either way, thank you so much, Elon, for allowing us to have free speech on Twitter. Um, now, look, let me tell you my opinion on this. I, I personally, in terms of the way that I use Twitter, I don't know what to expect. Maybe he'll make some improvements. Maybe the platform overall will get worse. I don't necessarily know, but I don't really like Twitter as it is. It's a very toxic environment, and the less that I use Twitter, the happier I am, the more stable my mental health is. So, I mean, I already kind of don't use Twitter, but overall, this is important specifically because of how influential Twitter is and how many people use Twitter. I don't necessarily anticipate a huge exodus from Twitter unless he really makes fundamental changes, but overall, it's so bizarre that the right and some media outlets are trying to frame this as, oh, this is a victory for freedom of speech because he's pro free speech and therefore since he now has taken over the company then free speech will be the norm on twitter now it doesn't make sense to me when i visualize freedom of speech i don't instinctively think about a billionaire purchasing a company and saying hey everyone you have free speech that's not really what free speech is or at least if that's what free speech is in the modern era then i really cringe at that because someone who's trying to pretend to be this benevolent dictator isn't the way that you actually achieve freedom of speech if you wanted to get freedom of speech on twitter more so than it already is then what you do is you opt to nationalize it and democratize it not put it in the sole hands of one billionaire 
who has proven before that he doesn't actually believe that freedom of speech, that is the First Amendment, is going to apply to a private company because he's proven that he doesn't do that with his own companies. I mean, busting up unions, not necessarily a very pro-free speech thing to do. He also has canceled Tesla orders for bloggers who criticize him. So even if it were possible to find some benevolent dictator to take control of Twitter for purposes of making it a more free and open platform, I think that's not really the way that you institute freedom of speech. Again, if you want freedom of speech, you nationalize it and democratize it not give one person control of Twitter who can basically purge the website of anyone who criticizes him. And now he's saying currently that I welcome my critics on the website, but we'll see if he lives up to that principle. But either way, this whole conversation about freedom of speech is a red herring because this isn't actually about freedom of speech. Conservatives are celebrating this because they think this is a victory for free speech, but they don't care about freedom of speech, right? They don't care at all about freedom of speech. If they did, they would be speaking out with leftists such as myself against these anti-BDS laws, which are an explicit violation of the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. They would be speaking out against the book banning that we're seeing in Florida, crackdowns on gender expression, these don't say gay bills, which curtail the freedom of speech of teachers. So, I mean, if they actually were consistent, they would be actually defending the free speech of their political opponents, but they're not. Really what this comes down to, not to oversimplify the, the situation, but this is true. What this comes down to is they want to be able to spread misinformation on the platform. They want to be able to lie, commit defamation. They want to do targeted harassment, and they don't want there to be any repercussions. I mean, Twitter, sure, I've seen some arbitrary bans before, but the platform is no worse than any other social media website. I mean, I think that for the most part, Twitter does okay, but there's certainly areas for improvement with regard to the way that they, you know, um, regulate the platform. But overall, it's not like free speech is being curtailed. There is a terms of service on Twitter, and if you don't follow it, then you do get banned. See, I've never been banned for Twitter. I've seen people who have been banned for dumb reasons. But I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, I was quote tweeted by J.K. Rowling, the author who wrote Harry Potter, and she basically sicked all of her fans on me, and I was mass reported. But guess what? I didn't get banned, even though a lot of people brigaded my account and tried to get me banned for targeted harassment against J.K. Rowling. And it's because they have a terms of service, and I did not break TOS by going after J.K. Rowling and calling her a repulsive bigot and transphobic trash. So, for the most part, I don't think that the website is regulated any worse than Facebook. I mean, Facebook is basically an unusable hellscape where every single post that you see is either complete misinformation or hateful rhetoric. But what the right wants is they want to be able to use slurs, they want to attack people, dox people, and they want to not get banned for that. And also, I think they probably want Donald Trump to come back. Now, re remind yourself, why was Donald Trump banned? He was banned for inciting a capital insurrection. Now, a lot of people claim, oh, well, that's just freedom of speech. Actually, no, not all things that you say is protected under uh, under the First Amendment, there are limits to freedom of speech, right? Inciting a riot, that's not protected speech. There are people currently who are prosecuted because they were charged with inciting riots during the Black Lives Matter protests of 2020. I don't see anyone speaking up for their freedom of speech, right? And that's because we all know that there are limits to freedom of speech, even in the real world. Like, if Twitter is conceptually a public square, then, uh, you know, if you're in the public square, if you're in a park, you still can't do and say anything. You can't walk up to somebody and just repeatedly scream in their face. I mean, they could call the police and have you arrested for harassment 
open potentially. I mean, there are limits to speech. So nobody actually wants this almost like absolutist free speech position because then anything would be permitted, permitted, even abusive things, abusive images. I mean, there's going to be limits. It's just a matter of where you draw that line. And with conservatives, they want to be able to say and do racist things. And this is what Hunter Avalon pointed out on Twitter. He says, my prediction, Elon will tout about Twitter being a free speech platform in a matter of a few weeks. He will enforce a TOS after realizing it's literally necessary for a platform to function and not be overrun by slurs. And, you know, I, I think that he's correct about that even if you look at these right-wing platforms they end up enforcing a tos because if you just not put any standards on the platform then it gets unusable and people will want to not use the platform if they log on and they see nothing but smears and targeted harassment and doxing so in order to make the platform a place that people want to use you have to enforce some tos you have to have some standards you have to and even conservatives agree with this even if they don't say this out loud, but this is what they do on their own platforms. Even on Truth Social, the beacon of freedom of speech on Donald Trump's website, uh, apparently on there you can't criticize Donald Trump. People were being banned for criticizing Trump. So yeah, Nina Turner says, Elon Musk is the prime example of why unfettered capitalism is a danger to this country and the planet as a whole. He's not a genius. He's the product of generational wealth and a rigged system that sees billionaires as somehow more important than the average person. They aren't. We subsidize billionaires and their companies to the tune of billions of dollars when we should be investing in things that would improve our communities like healthcare, childcare, housing, and education. No pun intended, but this isn't rocket science. Yeah, well put. I mean, the situation here is kind of ridiculous because in a late stage capitalist society, you know, nobody has equal speech, at least when it comes to politics, which is really important, right? I mean, in America, you have more speech, you have a louder voice if you have more money. There's a reason why in order to get elected, you know, you need lots and lots of money. So if you're rich, you can just bankroll a candidate and, you know, that's money is speech in the United States, right? But poor people who can't afford to, you know, send a million dollars to one politician super PAC, they don't get heard. So, you know, if we really wanted to have a nuanced and robust conversation about freedom of speech, it wouldn't be about who Twitter is and isn't banning. I think that's a foolish and cartoonish interpretation of freedom of speech, but you can take issue with some elements of Twitter and the way that it's regulated. I certainly do, but if you honestly believe that one billionaire purchasing the platform is going to enhance freedom of speech, then I just, I don't know what to tell you. Your interpretation of what free speech is, is pretty clownish. And I, I would argue that, you know, uh, that's not going to be conducive to freedom of speech. Now, perhaps he'll make some improvements. Perhaps uh, he will just loosen all regulations and allow people to say what they want. We'll see how many people remain on the platform if that is indeed the case. But either way, it's just really gross that a billionaire can take issue with the platform and then just buy it. That's that's really sick. That shows that our society, our culture is perverted, that we allow things like this to exist. The mere existence of billionaires, first and foremost, is proof that we are a morally bankrupt society. Somebody to have that much wealth is gross when there's this much suffering going on, right? But for them to be able to have this much power, I mean, it shows you why wealth is an issue. They can purchase any platform. What's the stopping Elon Musk from buying Facebook? Or what's, you know, stopping Jeff Bezos from buying YouTube? 
all of these things that we like and cherish, you know, cultural institutions like these social media platforms, they can just be bought up by a billionaire. And you may like Elon Musk. You might be a right winger who's like, oh, I love this. But imagine if some liberal billionaire who you don't like decided to purchase one of these platforms like Warren Buffett or George Soros or someone like that. Like you wouldn't like it. The implications would be bad because you don't know how that's going to impact you because you can't trust one fucking person. So, I mean, overall, the conversation with regard to free speech, it's it's not applicable to this particular situation. What's the real conversation that we should be having is why do we allow billionaires in our society to have this much power? And the answer is we shouldn't. Billionaires should not exist, period. Well, it seems as if the QAnonification of the modern Republican Party is nearly complete. And I say that because we're about to watch a video from Candace Owens where she goes on an unhinged rant that is so bizarre that I, I feel like if somebody said this in 2010 that wasn't Alex Jones, everyone would have collectively mocked them. But now what we're going to see is a highly visible mainstream GOP propagandist saying things that are just outright delusional, saying things so bizarre and unhinged that I can't not think that she's unwell if she genuinely believes this. But I don't actually think that Candace Owens believes anything that comes out of her mouth. I think she's a grifter saying what she feels as if she needs to say to appease the right-wing audience that she's cultivated. But either way, we'll watch and then I will try to break down this word salad that we're going to see her vomit into a crowd of, I'm assuming, hundreds of people. Well, I am a big believer that they intentionally killed people in hospitals during COVID. They wouldn't let family members in there to make decisions for them. I personally saw when I went to an asthma clinic that they would not give me life-saving asthma treatment because breathing was not allowed, even though they had the nebulizer. Um, and if they had not sent an ambulance, I mean, I, I would, asthma attack is about like, you've got a very short window of time. I was having an asthma attack and the doctor had the life-saving medicine and said that the CDC had barred them from giving it to me. So there was no question um, that they colluded to kill American citizens so that they could fluff numbers and say that people died of COVID. I do. I still, to this day, question the use of ventilators. It makes entirely no sense. People needed oxygen, not compression on their chests when they were dealing with something that's in their chest. Um, so from top to bottom, yes, uh, our government wanted people to die. There's no question uh, because it fed the narrative. Yeah, and and it, it's a, it's the we're talking about crimes against humanity. People should face uh, long prison sentences. People people should face tribunals because of what they did during COVID. Um, and not even that, the masking of children, the treatment of special needs kids that were being forced to be masked on planes that were having, uh, you know, essentially the trauma that was put to people on a psych on a psychological level. Uh, to me, should bring forth tribunals. Uh, people like Bill Gates and Dr. Fauci should be in prison. Rachel Walensky among them. This was corruption top to bottom. And it was all done because they had already predestined the vaccine, right? They did deny treatment. They denied the use of hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin. Uh, the media was complicit in it. And it infuriates me. It infuriates me. The amount of people that were allowed to die and to suffer when there were medicines that worked because they knew that they could not get emergency use authorization if there was any treatments that worked. So they needed people to just die for a while. Um, and that is exactly what happened. And it makes me sick to my stomach to even think that we're, we're having to say that today. Um, but we have criminals and, like I said, drug cartel leaders that are running our government. And it's despicable. I will not mince words when it comes to those awful human beings. Wow. I don't believe this like at all, just so you know. I don't even know where to begin. First and foremost, I have to point out that I feel like this is maybe her way of coping. I don't think that Candace Owens believes anything that she says. 
but I feel like she's got to have a guilty conscience, right? She told her audience not to get vaccinated, and I'm assuming a lot of them listened, and some maybe even died as a result of taking her medical advice. So she's got to be thinking, oh my God, I, I, I maybe killed people indirectly. So the way that she kind of makes herself feel better, perhaps, is to say, actually, I didn't kill people. The government killed people. But no, Candace, I mean, the blood isn't directly on your hands, but I think that you absolutely bear some responsibility for influencing people to not get the vaccine, as does any anti-vax grifter who was saying the same shit that you were saying. But here's what she says. I tried to distill the main parts of her conspiracy into into one part. So this is going to go from like the beginning to the middle to the end. But this is what she said overall, and we'll kind of break this, break this down. I'm a big believer that they intentionally killed people in hospitals during COVID. Now, whenever somebody comes up with a conspiracy theory, the question is, well, why? And she answers that. It's to feed the narrative. And she explains this was all done because they had already predestined the vaccine, right? They denied treatment. They denied the use of hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and the media was complicit. So the reason why they intentionally killed people in hospitals was to sell this vaccine to people. Okay, well, ivermectin didn't really become a thing until 2021. What about all the people that died in 2020? And the reason why people in hospitals weren't being given hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin was because they aren't effective at preventing or reducing sickness when it comes to COVID-19. What does reduce sickness is the vaccine, but that's what she's against. So you can take this entire argument, copy and paste it, and apply it to her. You can say that you're promoting ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine specifically because you have an anti-vax agenda, and that would actually be correct, right? What is this oh, feeding the narrative? We had to have more people die so we can convince people that COVID is so bad and scary that they get the vaccine. Except regardless of how bad it got, Republicans didn't care. And you still, many of you chose not to get the vaccine. So if they tried to kill people intentionally to feed this narrative for that purpose, they failed, wouldn't you say? I mean, I, the whole conspiracy itself doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. Who's doing the killing in the hospitals, Candace? Is it government officials? Is it doctors? Is it nurses? Are they all colluding with Dr. Fauci to deny ivermectin and then laugh whenever another person dies of COVID? I mean, how exactly does this play out? You know, they're like, Mwahaha, another one died. They wanted ivermectin, but we didn't give it to them because they should have taken the vaccine. I, I just, it doesn't make sense, right? And even if, you know, uh, the vaccine was being pushed in this sinister way, I mean, there's demonstrable proof that people who got vaccinated were less likely to be hospitalized or die. So isn't it still kind of bad on your part to deny the vaccine? It's just it's so brain dead. It's hard to even grapple with the substance here. Not that there's any substance here, but it's difficult to try to dissect what she's saying here because of how moronic it is. And then uh, she also makes a very weird point about them trying to kill her. So she says it infuriates me. Uh, or no, no, she says they would not give me life-saving asthma treatment because breathing was not allowed. And she claimed the doctor had the life-saving medicine and said that the CDC had barred them from giving it to me. So I don't even know what any of that means. That's just word salad. There's, there's, 
there's no value in those words, but essentially what I think she's trying to say is, oh, the doctor wanted to kill me because the CDC told them that I'm a threat to their pro-vax agenda, and so they said don't give her asthma medicine. What are you even saying? What the fuck are you talking about? You're telling me that the doctor didn't give you nebulizer treatment because the CDC said don't give that to Candace or just don't give that to people with asthma. What exactly are you trying to say? None of this makes sense. None of this makes any sense whatsoever, Candace. Do you understand you sound like a crazy person when you say shit like this? You understand that, right? I get that to your right-wing audience. They think, oh my God, what she's saying is, is crazy. This is groundbreaking information that she's giving us. But normal people who aren't in that crowd, who aren't in your bubble, see this and they think, oh my God, this person is unwell. She also said, it infuriates me the amount of people that were allowed to die. So now she's saying they were allowed to die, not intentionally killed, uh, that were allowed to die and suffer because they knew they could not get emergency use authorization if there were, were any treatments that works. So they needed people to just die for a while. And that is exactly what happened. Now, Candace Owens, she's purporting to care about unnecessary deaths. But, uh, you know, if she actually cared about preventing deaths, then she would join me in calling for a single payer healthcare system where healthcare is free at the point of service. Because how many people die unnecessarily every single year in America because they don't have health care? Thousands, literally tens of thousands. Uh, if she actually wanted to prevent unnecessary deaths, she would either join me in supporting the nationalization of American pharmaceutical companies or support the government buying all drugs and then distributing them to the population free of charge. Because if you can't have some medications like insulin, then you die if you can't afford it. So she would actually support these policies that would save lives. But she doesn't. She she would call Medicare for all socialism. Can't have socialism, so people have to die. Right, right, Candace. You care about unnecessary deaths. Sure you do. Sure you do. And she claims that people were allowed to die because that's the way that they got the vaccine to get emergency use authorization. But I mean, if the government was concocting this nefarious plot to push the vaccine, wouldn't they also go one step further and just like buy off the cdc to get or the fda rather to get emergency use authorization why would they have to let people die if they're that evil wouldn't they just like bribe officials i mean if you're if you're really talking about this as a legitimate grand scheme here to push the vaccine they had to do all this and let people die just to get emergency use authorization wouldn't they just subvert that somehow it's so bizarre how like they're so evil that they're willing to intentionally kill people or let people die whichever interpretation she wants to go with based on what she's talking about but at the same time they have to follow the rules and make sure that they before they distribute the vaccine they get emergency use authorization it's just so fucking stupid no, we want to kill people, but we're going to make sure that we adhere to rigorous testing and trials before we apply for emergency use authorization. Like the conspiracy theory makes no fucking sense. It makes no sense, but it doesn't need to make sense because her audience isn't going to dissect it in the way that I am. They're just going to gobble it up and think, oh my God, she's right. They're killing people because they want to push the vaccine. No, idiots. It's the opposite. The vaccine is saving lives. Holy shit. Now, uh, she also said there was no question they colluded to kill Americans so they can fluff up the numbers. They killed Americans just to fluff up the numbers. Wow. And say that people died of COVID. I still, till this day, question the use of ventilators. It makes entirely no sense. People need oxygen, not compression in their chest when they're dealing with something that's in their chest. Candace, you have no fucking idea what you're talking about. You are not a medical professional. You're not trained in any way, shape or form on these types of issues. So the fact that you and your expertise don't understand what ventilators are used for 
that means nothing. That means nothing. It's who gives a shit. A fart is as qualified as you are to talk about ventilators. But she says that people were literally killed in hospitals just to fluff up the numbers. Now, this goes steps further than that conspiracy theory that the right has. It's orders of magnitude worse because I heard that the GOP thought that, well, they were just saying that these deaths from car accidents and whatnot were actually COVID deaths because they wanted to fluff up the numbers. But Candace is saying, no, 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 they actually were killing people just to fluff up the numbers. Candace, if they're willing to go that far, if they're willing to kill people literally to inflate the numbers, if they're that evil, why wouldn't they just inflate the numbers, just make them up like that, pull them out of thin air? Would they really go through all of the effort to kill people and risk getting caught? I mean, all you have to do is think about this unhinged conspiracy for like two seconds and you understand that you have to be mentally unwell to believe that it's valid. It makes no fucking sense whatsoever. It's stupid. Again, I feel like, and this is me psychoanalyzing Candace Owens, I feel like she just feels guilty that her actions, her medical advice got people killed indirectly. She told them not to get the vaccine. A lot of them listened and they died because they rejected a life-saving vaccine because people like Candace Owens fear-mongered about it. That's got to be what this is, right? And she goes from talking about crimes against humanity where people should face tribunals for what they did to talking about the masking of children as if purposefully killing people and masking children are morally comparable. I mean, if you want to really talk about the gravity of this horrible thing that you're unearthing, that you're telling all of your audience about, wouldn't you like not put masking of children in the same fucking category as if that is the same thing as killing people? I just feel like you have to be dumb to listen to what she says and think, wow, she's really onto something. She's making a point. Like you have to actually not know how to reason, not have any logic or common sense in your brain to hear that and think, man, she's crushing it right there. She's a truth teller. But there are millions of Americans who hear that and think, wow, I need to share this with someone because this is if this is true, then this is a huge scandal. They're killing people in hospitals. I mean, imagine the effect that this is going to have. You have hospital workers who work their ass off, suffer from depression because of multiple COVID waves made worse in large part due to Republicans who were, you know, against masking and vaccinations, which would have mitigated it to an extent. Uh, and now they're being demonized by Candace Owens. Oh, they're killing people in hospitals. Who's killing them? The doctors, the nurses. Have you ever talked to a nurse or a doctor? They're normal people who actually want to help people. It's just, I don't know what to say. Brainworms. A new morning consult poll has found that West Virginian Senator Joe Manchin's popularity among his voters has spiked. And it spiked by a lot. We're talking 17 percentage points, and this is the largest spike of any U.S. senator. So Joe Manchin, that Joe Manchin, the evil Joe Manchin, is getting more popular. And he's not just getting more popular now because of this poll. He is one of the most popular senators in America, right up there at the top with Bernie Sanders. So the question is, does evil pay off? And the answer is, yeah, it probably does. But what's happening here? Because in West Virginia, when you look at public opinion polls from 2021, well, it indicated that they supported Build Back Better, which is the legislation that Joe Manchin blocked, so theoretically they should be angry at him and he should be getting less popular, but somehow he's getting more popular. 
Well, there's multiple things going on here. First and foremost, it seems as if support for Build Back Better started to taper off at the beginning of this year. A Remington research poll conducted in late January found that 72% of West Virginian voters supported Manchin's decision to obstruct Build Back Better. And that's a contradiction considering that in late August, as talks for Build Back Better were taking place, a Data for Progress poll found that 68% of West Virginian voters either strongly or somewhat supported the Build Back Better agenda. And when you look at individual provisions within Build Back Better, they are all very popular. In fact, most of these provisions have majority support, expanding Medicare, universal pre-K, clean energy investments. These are all strongly or somewhat supported by the people of West Virginia. Why is he getting more popular if he's seemingly doing the opposite of what his constituents want? Are the people of West Virginia masochistic? Do they like when their own senator spits in their faces? Are they uninformed? What's happening here? And uh, it's actually pretty interesting to see the results here. Uh, this explanation is actually really easy. He is gaining more support with Republicans as he loses support with his Democratic base. So as Alex Griffin of Mediaite explains, Morning Consult's Eli Yokely noted Monday that the senator's posturing has paid off as 57% of West Virginia voters approve of Manchin's job performance up from 40% during the first quarter of 2021. Manchin's soaring approval rating was the biggest jump of any U.S. senator since Biden took office, with John Thune coming in second with an 11-point jump. Manchin's double-digit approval rating improvement over the course of Biden's tenure is a rarity when compared with other incumbents. Just three of them, John Thune, Lisa Murkowski, and Alex Padilla of California, have seen comparable improvement in their standing, Yokely explains, of Manchin's rare achievement. The driving force behind Manchin's boost came from West Virginia Republicans. At the beginning of Biden's time in office, Manchin held only a 35% approval rating with Republicans in his state, the largest voting bloc in a state Donald Trump won in 2020 by almost 40 points. Today, Manchin's approval rating with Republicans in West Virginia stands at 69%. Nice. His approval rating with Democrats, meanwhile, declined from 63% to 44%. Manchin's improving fortunes in a seat he has held since 2010 have now landed him among the top 10 most popular U.S. senators. Thune, Bernie Sanders, and John Barrasso are the three most popular, while Mitch McConnell, Ron Johnson, and Susan Collins are the three most unpopular senators. So it's not as perplexing when you actually dive into the details. Democrats don't like him as much as they did previously, but Republicans, they see that he obstructed Joe Biden's agenda, and they like that he uh, is doing that. I mean, they approve his, uh, of his performance. Now, these Republicans, I would argue, would probably still vote for a real Republican as opposed to someone who's a Democrat that does Republican things because these Republican voters, like the modern Republican Party, is full of psychopaths, right? So they don't want someone who just pretends to be a Republican. They want a tried and true, reliable Kool-Aid drinker. They don't want someone who's going to agree with Democrats ever. They want someone frothing at the mouth, shitting their pants, talking about fascism openly almost at this point. That's who they want. They want an insurrectionist. So if Joe Manchin thinks that he's going to win by winning over Republican support and doesn't think that the Republican base will turn on him in favor of a real Republican, we'll have to wait and see. But I mean, losing support from the people who specifically got you elected doesn't necessarily seem like the best electoral strategy, but that's what Manchin has uh, seen, right? He obstructed President Biden's agenda, build back better, and his constituents don't like that. So his approval rating decreased with Democrats, but his net approval rating 
is overall up. So he's popular because there's enough conservative Democrats who agree with him and there's enough Republicans who now approve of him to where it's kind of like this perfect mix of dumb people, uninformed people just liking that he's stopping Biden from doing anything. The bare minimum when it comes to climate change legislation, expanding Medicare, things specifically that would help these Republicans in West Virginia, they're against it. Probably because, you know, really the ethos of the GOP in modern times is triggering the libs. And Joe Manchin absolutely triggered the libs. He blocked the entirety of Biden's agenda. So they like that. And because he delivered on that one thing that they care about, well, it doesn't matter if they're still going to be in poverty and not have access to an education, not have health care. Fuck it. As long as Democrats are mad, I can die happy. Might die poor. And not be able to retire, but I die happy nonetheless, knowing that they're unhappy. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm obviously speculating a little bit, but it just shows you that when you are super evil, Republicans usually support you. And I say usually because Mitch McConnell is the most effective Republican, perhaps in modern times. He's done more harm, been more effective at actually instituting the GOP's agenda than any other senator. And yet he's one of the least popular people, but yet he still gets elected. You know, it doesn't make sense. Americans are one of the most uninformed populations in the world, I feel like, because they hate their Congress. They hate all of the governing institutions, but they keep electing people who are demonstrable failures, people who don't care about them, people who have been proven to be corrupt. How many articles have we seen about Joe Manchin talking about how his policies that he fights for as a representative have been almost exclusively to the benefit of his own coal company to enrich himself and yet they still elect him time after time after time so it's frustrating right because you have these self-serving politicians and everyone knows that money runs everything in dc and all of these politicians only care about is you know their own careers and their re-election but yet they keep electing these people they consistently vote for the out-of-touch incumbent in primaries over the insurgent who actually wants to do good things it's frustrating, right? I feel like a lot of this is a failure on the part of media, but what's gonna happen is the message is going to be, you see, people like Manchin because he governed as a moderate. It doesn't matter that he was an obstructionist and didn't even allow moderate policies to get through because that's what Build Back Better is. These are incrementalist approaches to catastrophic issues facing our society, but he wouldn't even allow incrementalism. The moderate approach is no longer tolerable with the right in America today, but the narrative is going to be, oh, we'll see, Joe Manchin did what Republicans wanted and he's more popular, so of course, other Democrats should do what he does, and that's how you get popular. Pretend to be a Republican and that's your ticket to victory in the United States. They think that that's actually what's going to get them elected, and this isn't hyperbole, this is what overpaid Democratic Party operatives tell them time and again, but it's a failure. What matters is getting out the vote, making sure that your base is galvanized, making sure that you offer them things. And that's not always going to work, right? I mean, West Virginia had the opportunity to support Paula Jean Swearingen not once, but twice, right? She tried to primary him back in 2018. She lost. She successfully uh, ran a Democratic Party primary again in 2020 and was up against Shelley Moore Capito, and she lost. So both times, you know, West Virginians, they had the option of supporting someone who was explicitly saying, I want to fight for you. I want to give you health care and education. And they said, no, 
I want the Republican who's going to do nothing and get rich off of making us suffer. So that's not just people being, you know, irrational. That's them being uninformed and not actually knowing what's happening, right? So overall, we need to train people in the United States to understand what's happening politically. We need to give people, uh, you know, training on media literacy, but it's just an uphill battle because the right-wing misinformation machine has duped people into believing that voting against their own best interest is what they should be doing. And they do it consistently time and time again. So even if Republicans are Republican because they like when Republicans do Republican things and therefore they support Joe Manchin because he's doing what they usually like, it's still irrational for them because they're supporting someone who's fucking them over essentially. So I don't know what to say. I mean, being evil sometimes pays off, right? Not necessarily for Kirsten Cinema, but if you're John Thune and Joe Manchin, you can basically tell your constituents to go fuck themselves and then they'll be like, oh, well, thank you, more please. Yes, daddy, please uh, give me more pain and suffering. I'll, I'll approve of you more if you do that. Spit in my face while you're at it. Step on me, please. It's just... <laughs> What a dystopian hellhole we live in. Yesterday on the program, we talked about how billionaire Elon Musk didn't like the way that Twitter was being run, so he decided to just buy it. Very normal and healthy society that we live in, folks. But, you know, in doing so, he single-handedly saved freedom of speech in the United States. You see, we didn't have freedom of speech on Sunday, but on Monday, when this one billionaire decided to buy a social media platform, that's when freedom of speech returned to the United States. And it's, it's a beautiful sight, folks. And if you're skeptical as to whether or not he actually cares and is committed to the principle of freedom of speech, well, he took to Twitter after the news broke to assure his critics that they still will indeed be welcome on the platform, saying, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that is what free speech means. Sounds great. But what he says is very different than what he does. In fact, his actions don't line up with the rhetoric that he's espousing here. And it's really frustrating that, you know, what I'm seeing, at least from normie discourse, is that this really is about freedom of speech and this is a victory for freedom of speech. But this isn't about freedom of speech. This is about a billionaire consolidating the power that he already has and making himself even more powerful and influencing culture even more, likely to the benefit of his many businesses. But if you are convinced that he really does care about freedom of speech, well, there's a story that Mediaite had reminded us of that shows that Elon Musk does not care about freedom of speech. In fact, he's one of the most petty people in the country. And this is a billionaire. He doesn't have to be petty. He can have any hobby he wants, do whatever he wants, but he's one of the most petty people ever. Now, we talked on the show yesterday about this, and I brought up how he canceled the Tesla order of a blogger who was simply mean to him. But this story proves that Elon Musk does not give a damn about freedom of speech because he actually harassed and bullied one individual off of Twitter completely because this person was a journalist who chose to hold Tesla and Elon Musk in particular accountable. So Mediaites Michael Luciano explains, Lawrence Fossey was working as a portfolio manager in Manhattan at the time. That Monday would have been an otherwise unremarkable day at the office, but for a phone call from an irate and litigious Elon Musk, a colleague relayed the billionaire's message. Elon Musk says, you're a very bad person and you're writing bad things about him, Fossey recalled the colleague explaining. He's going to have to sue you and he's going to have to drag your boss in 
into it. Fossey was incredulous, but quickly realized this was no office prank. The CEO of Tesla Motors had actually called his office and threatened to make his life miserable by threatening litigation. So keep in mind, this was back in 2018. So what exactly did Fossey do to have Elon Musk himself make a phone call to Fossey's manager and threaten litigation? Well, he was critical of Elon Musk. His offense, he criticized Elon Musk online. Beginning in 2015, he wrote dozens of articles critical of Tesla on the popular crowdsourced finance site Seeking Alpha. I would take a close look at its financial statements and write about things that struck me as wrong, he explained. Writing under the nom de plume, Montana skeptic Fossey dissected company filings and provided wonkish analyses to make the bear case against Tesla, which did not respond to a request for comment on this story. He penned dozens of missives, but some stand out more than others. Fossey wrote he believed Tesla overstated its profits and papered over losses in its statements. He also wondered if Tesla was hoodwinking Nevada in its deal with the state to make its electric vehicle batteries there. Another time, he questioned Tesla's claims about the safety of its vehicles. In another piece, Fossey declared New York State had gotten a raw deal after investing nearly $1 billion in a factory for Tesla to build solar panels as part of its solar energy business. Fossey was also active on Twitter using the Montana skeptic moniker and tweeted links to his articles as well as other thoughts about Tesla and Musk. Eventually, one protest, the online sleuth, outed him as the man behind the accounts on Twitter and seeking alpha. A little more than a week later, Fossey said that's when Musk rang his boss. What especially irked him was Musk's first line of recourse. He had never once attempted to contact me to say, I think you got something wrong in your article, factually, Fossey said. He didn't email me or have anybody from Tesla do that. Whenever I discovered I had made errors, I would always correct them in the article up front in a note that was prominent and make note of my error. So in the end, what happened was Fossey was successfully silenced by Elon Musk because Elon Musk called Fossey's manager, real Karen move, by the way, and threatened them with a lawsuit. And even if Elon Musk had no legal ground to stand on, still Fossey decided it wasn't worth it to put my employer through this because even if we can win this lawsuit, that's a lot of money for legal fees up front, right? It costs money to defend yourself, even if you're in the right. So rather than putting his employer through that, he just pledged to stop criticizing Elon Musk. And also he deleted the Twitter account associated with this moniker that he had. And then Elon Musk left them alone. That's the pro-free speech Elon Musk. Very, very pro-speech of him to bully a journalist into silence. Unbelievable. Now, the thing about these types of lawsuits is, you know, these companies, they throw their weight around knowing that the person who they're punching down on doesn't have sufficient money to actually defend themselves in court. Something similar happened to me, not, of course, as as drastic, but I played a 30 second clip from CBS News back in like 2016, 2017, and it was a Donald Trump interview. I feel like the interview that this outlet published with our president was important so it was it was obviously fair use i was using it for discussion and cbs news they decided to do a copyright strike shut down the video i appealed as i usually do and i said this is fair use it meets the criteria of fair use i believe in good faith that my assessment is valid and they simply responded by saying we disagree and our legal team we're willing to go to court to settle this matter and so what did i have to do i had to back down because yeah I know that I'm in the right. I know that my use of a 30 second clip of the president in a news video is going to fall under the criteria of fair use, but I don't have the money to defend myself in court. 
So it's an automatic dub for them. And this is what billionaires do. They throw their weight around. This is what very powerful institutions in the U.S. do. They throw their weight around and they silence their critics. So if you think that this is about freedom of speech, I've got a bridge to sell you because this is about Elon Musk consolidating his power. Imagine if Elon Musk was petty enough to call the manager of somebody who wrote mean articles about him and they weren't even necessarily mean. They were journalistic articles looking at the financials of this major company who's getting tax subsidies. So that's a public good. But I mean, if Elon Musk was petty enough to do that, imagine what he can now do on Twitter. If some journalist with a million followers is overly critical of Elon Musk, he could simply Thanos snap them out of existence like that, and they're gone. That major platform, which they use to get out the word about their journalistic work, can be gone like that. And it's not just silencing journalists. I mean, what Elon Musk can do is suppress all of the uh, competitors to Tesla. And he says that he's not going to do that. He'll make the algorithm open source. But um, does anyone actually believe that he'll follow through with all of this? Does anyone believe that he'll be incredibly transparent about Twitter if he's not transparent about a company like Tesla, which makes him lots and lots of money? It made him a billionaire, literally. So, I mean, this is not about freedom of speech. This is about corporate consolidation, billionaires getting more power and using their wealth to basically take over society. And look, Elon Musk and this Twitter issue, it's a microcosm of a bigger issue. As good politic guy pointed out on Twitter, billionaire Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. Billionaire John Henry owns the Boston Globe. Billionaire Sheldon Adelson owns the Las Vegas Review Journal. Billionaire Laureen Powell owns the Atlantic. Billionaire Patrick Soon Cheung owns the Los Angeles Times. Billionaire Mark Benioff owns Time. I mean, in our society, billionaires effectively control all major media outlets and as a result, they literally are able to warp our view of the world. We see the world through their lens. And that's not to say that like these outlets are always going to be bad, right? I mean, the Washington Post has a couple of good journalists there. Taylor Lorenz, Jeff Stein, these are good people who do good work. But when it comes to any story related to Amazon or unionization or worker rights, I think you have to be a lot more skeptical knowing that they have a heavy disincentive to talk about things that their owner doesn't like. And it's not just what they talk about and how they cover certain stories, it's what they choose to not cover, right? So billionaires are taking control of our society, and this is kind of a predictable outcome in a capitalist system. We're currently in a late-stage capitalist hellscape, but this was always the trajectory. If you don't try to rein in capitalism with at least some regulations and controls, this is the inevitable outcome, and that's what we're seeing here. So this isn't about freedom of speech by any means. This is about Elon Musk using Twitter to his advantage however he sees fit. If you think this is about freedom of speech, congratulations, you've been duped by a billionaire. Not too long ago, Megyn Kelly attacked Disney for daring to say that they're going to try to be more inclusive of gays and lesbians in upcoming movies and television shows, and Megyn Kelly did not like that, and she melted down and went on a homophobic rant. But after that homophobic rant, just like a week or so later, now she's going to white knight for gay men, all in a transparent attempt to throw trans women under the bus. So let's take a look at what she has to say. Right now, we're looking at children on puberty blockers, right? We're looking at men beating the hell out of women in in biological men being the hell out of women in their own sports what is next and i think mm -hmm. that's a very important question it's not a logical fallacy to say a slippery slope we are on a slope period if the left has their way on this i think it's a fascinating what, question where do we go? 
Because I've talked to a lot of gay and lesbian friends who have said, like, I don't totally get why the T is at the end of LGBT, you know, and the Q and all right. like the interests aren't necessarily aligned. And in fact, if you look at like the trans activists, like the crazy trans and not like normal, like whatever, but the crazy trans activists are so vicious and they they're basically kind of doing conversion therapy on young gay men instead of you're not gay you're trans you're secretly a girl it's better to be trans than to be queer than to be than to be gay just just say that you're a girl and then you can get rid of that whole gay thing and we're seeing more and more of this abigail schreier writes about it in her book i've had lots of people on the show talking about it so there is a question about whether the interests of the gay community are aligned in the way that glad would have us believe and whether glad's lost the the real scope of its original mission oh wow i'm just i'm so fucking touched that megan kelly cares so much about gay men i mean what was it like a week or two ago you implied that we're all pedophiles who want to groom your kids but i'm really happy that you've done this 180 so quick and all of a sudden you care about gay people wow very very um genuine change of heart there megan kelly and she has gay friends so she's definitely not homophobic these people are so disingenuous, so transparent. I feel like if you had any self-awareness, you'd be embarrassed to say that. But I mean, it's Megyn Kelly, it's conservatives, so they have no shame whatsoever. So the crux of her argument here, the main thing that I wanted to talk about is how she believes that really, you know, these, these trans activists, some of them are very vicious, they're preying on gay men. These gay men who are sacred, we have to protect them. They're preying on gay men. She says they're basically doing conversion therapy on young gay men. You're not gay. This is what uh, trans people are apparently telling gay people. This is not happening, by the way, but this is what she says they're telling gay men. Uh, you're not gay. You're not. You're trans. You're secretly a girl. It's better to be trans uh, than to be queer, than to be gay. Just say you're a girl and then you can get rid of the whole gay thing. That's not, this, this is not happening. I don't know what else to say. Um, if you can find me one anecdote, I'll be surprised. Find me 10. I mean, I'll, I'll eat this fucking microphone, but this is not a thing that's happening. She's making that up. This is what conservatives do. They make things up. I mean, Megyn Kelly is the person who had a tantrum on Fox News at the prospect that kids might think that Santa wasn't white. No, he's definitely white kids. He's not black. So, I mean, of course, she's already proven to people that she is deceitful and she makes things up. So she's making that up. And that's not the way that homosexuality works, right? So I, at a very young age, knew that I was gay. Maybe from like age five or eight. I remember having conversations about my mom that I didn't want a girlfriend. I wanted a boyfriend. And she'd say, well, no, you're a boy. You're supposed to have a girlfriend. Uh, you know, and I'd say, no, that's not that's not what I want. I want to have a boyfriend when I grow up, not a girlfriend, uh, because that's just what came natural to me. But at no point in my life when I was realizing that I'm possibly gay, did I think maybe I'm a girl because I don't have gender dysphoria. I never thought maybe this isn't homosexuality. Maybe this is just me wanting to be a girl. That's not what's happening. It's not like gender dysphoria or being transgender is some corrupted version of homosexuality. If that's actually what you think is the case, then that proves that you don't know anything about either. And this is a new thing that transphobes are trying to do. For example, J.K. Rowling tweeted out an article written by a gay man titled The New Homophobia. And basically the gist of this article was that trans people are corrupting gays and lesbians into being trans and that this is homophobia. So look out for this. Transphobes are going to feign concern over gay rights and homosexuality 
And this is all a pathetic attempt to attack trans people and throw trans people under the bus. But let me make one thing very clear to J.K. Rowling and Megyn Kelly. You are not our allies. You are not my friend. I reject your support. Fuck you, okay? LGBTQ plus people, like, this isn't some kind of a buffet. You can't pick and choose what you like. Oh, I like the B, I like bisexuals, and I like lesbians, but I don't like gays and trans people. Or I like trans people, but I don't like non-binary people. Like, you don't get to pick and choose who you want. Queer people are a package deal. If you don't support some of us, then you don't support all of us effectively. Because queer people are all linked by the way that we're discriminated against. And she touched on this, right? She said, you know, I've talked to a lot of gays and lesbians and, you know, they, they don't really get why the T is at the end of LGBT. The interests aren't necessarily aligned, except that's where you're wrong. Queer people, all queer people, regardless if you are transgender, non-binary, gay, bisexual, we're linked because we defy gender norms. So if you are born with a penis, then you're supposed to act in a very certain way. You're supposed to be very masculine, according to society, right? You're supposed to be masculine, play with trucks, uh, you're supposed to like the color blue, and you're supposed to be interested in women sexually and romantically. And because in some way, gay, trans, non-binary people, queer people deviate from these norms, well, society doesn't like that. And they try to bully them back in line with their ascribed, uh, you know, expectations. So that's why we're all in the same community. And I don't really like the whole acronym LGBTQ plus itself because it makes it seem as if it's customizable where you can take the T off at the end and that's acceptable. No, the queer community is the queer community because we're discriminated against, because we don't live up to the expectations that society ascribes to us at birth. In fact, the gay rights movement wouldn't exist had it not been for trans women. The whole movement was catalyzed by two transgender women, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. Without them, without trans women, we might not have rights today. So to attack trans people and fight against their existence under the guise of protecting gay men, that is so deceitful, so dishonest that anyone who does that should be confronted because that's not acceptable. You're, you're a piece of shit. You're filth if you do that. Now, I actually responded to JK Rowling about that. And can you guess the way that her transphobic fans responded to me? Oh, well, you're homophobic. I'm homophobic. <laughs> so this is what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to pit members of the LGBTQ plus community against each other. And this is all to attack trans people. So I reject Megyn Kelly's dishonest and deceitful attempt to try to pit gay men against trans people. That's disgusting. Now, she also made a comment that actually pissed me off. She said, uh, the crazy trans activists are so vicious. Like she was trying to differentiate from the regular trans activists uh, and the vicious trans activists. Uh, because, you know, when you are denying people's rights and literally fighting against their right to exist, then there's this expectation that they should be polite to you and respectful as you spit in their face. No, fuck you, Megyn Kelly. The vicious activists in all of these communities, they're usually the ones that catapult the movement forward, right? And sure, you need a mix, right? You need a Malcolm X and a Martin Luther King Jr. But for you to just scoff at the vicious trans activists, how dare you be a little bit too mm, outspoken 
about the way that we're fucking you over. Shut the fuck up, Megyn Kelly. You're a multimillionaire. You've never worried about anything a day in your life. You're a privileged white princess and you're straight and you're cis. So, you know, it's easy for you to talk about how vicious others are because the prospect of accepting them somehow feels like oppression to you. But spare me your outrage, okay? Fuck your civility politics. In fact, I think that uh, LGBTQ plus people need to be even more impolite given how, you know, all of a sudden you and your ilk conservatives have decided to just target this community and, and make this what you're going to run on in 2022. Fuck you, Megyn Kelly. God, what a piece of shit. Now, I want to touch on what Steven Crowder said. Uh, Steven Crowder said, right now we're looking at children on puberty blockers. Uh, we're looking at men beating the hell out of women. What is next? What's the slippery slope? Um, the end game is literally just equality and acceptance. That's it. Equality and acceptance. And puberty blockers is something that in theory they should support because they say that they don't want children having irreversible surgeries, which that doesn't happen, by the way. But puberty blockers are a reversible thing that you can give to adolescents while they're still wondering who they really are. It's a thing that helps them. And yet you're like, no, 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 bad. But also, you know, irre irreversible surgery is bad. It reminds me of the, uh, like, contraception bad, but also abortion bad when contraception is the thing that prevents abortions. Like, conservatives want to have their cake and eat it too. They just want to make sure that they erase trans people out of existence. And when they get that, that's when they're happy. But they will never get that because we, were we will never let them have that dub. And he says that, you know, we're looking at men beating the hell out of women. Really? Is that really happening? Are trans women dominating all sports? First and foremost, there's no such thing as a fair game. There are biological advantages and disadvantages between cis men, right? If I chose to play basketball, I can guarantee to you I'm going to be one of the shortest men on that team. Do I get to screech about biological advantages that my cis teammates have? No, I don't get to do that because there's no such thing as a perfectly fair game. And what they're really targeting is high schoolers and middle schoolers and at that point it's a fucking game it's about socialization not about them trying to become professional athletes so all of these issues like they find one trans woman and, and this is how you know that trans women aren't actually destroying women's sports like they claim because every time they find one of them they have to talk about that one trans woman for like a year right but if this were actually happening on a regular basis, they wouldn't have to cherry pick these specific examples as to whether or not, oh, this one trans woman is dominating specifically because she's trans. Never mind all the times that she gets her ass beat by the cis women, but this one time where she won, like this proves that trans people are a threat to women and we should probably try to erase them out of society. Like it's just these people are so fucking petulant, so fearful of just accepting people who they don't understand and it's just it's so transparent so look this is going to be something that we continue to see the gop has decided that bringing back the pedophile myth bringing back uh transphobia into the mainstream where it's actually explicit transphobia it's not them just hiding behind protecting women like this is vicious transphobia that we're seeing this is hate and we're gonna see this again because that's what the gop has decided to make their uh mission for 2022 to throw red meat to the base but what we have to do is push back relentlessly and vociferously and if you're an ally to the queer community then do everything in your power to elevate their voices and we'll leave that there megan kelly is a clown she's no friend to gay people uh she can go fuck herself like what what a trash person trying to pretend to care about gay men trying to white knight for gay men who she thinks are all pedophiles fuck you megan kelly
So prior to the current pause on student loan repayments, the White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain said that they would either choose to cancel student debt or they'd extend the current pause at the time. And so they chose to extend the current pause seemingly in lieu of canceling student debt. So at that point, once we learned about the current pause until August, I thought, okay, so I guess that canceling student debt is off the table. But apparently, I'm pleasantly surprised to be wrong here because the Biden administration told the Congressional Hispanic Caucus that he has some big plans with regard to student loan debt. CBS News reports, Biden tells Congressional Hispanic Caucus he's looking at forgiving some federal student loan debt. Now, before we dive into the article, I just want to point out that there are other conflicting reports saying that he's considering canceling all student debt. But regardless, what we're getting for the most part is this signal that he's going to cancel a substantial amount of student debt. How much? I don't know. But I think that this is a really positive thing that I want to celebrate, not too preemptively but if this does indeed happen it would have big implications not just for this election but i think for an entire generation going forward so the article explains president biden is looking at different options to forgive an unspecified but substantial amount of federal student loan debt a move that would thrill some of his most loyal supporters and financially strapped students nationwide but is a departure from campaign pledges to provide limited relief the president shared his plans during a 90-minute white house meeting monday with members of the congressional hispanic caucus participants in the exchange tell cbs news the move could affect more than 43 million borrowers who hold more than 1.6 trillion dollars in federal student loan debt, the second largest debt held by Americans behind mortgages. Representative Tony Cardenas, Democrat of California, who attended the meeting, said the president is open to forgiving debt for college students regardless of whether they've attended a public or private institution. The president never mentioned an amount, nor did the president say he was going to wipe out all student debt, Cardenas said. He did a dialogue with us about the differential between young people who went to public schools or private schools, and we, Congressional Hispanic Caucus members, said he should focus focus on both, and he said, okay, good to know. Cardenas said he reiterated to Mr. Biden that the Hispanic Caucus supports executive action that would forgive at least $10,000 in college debt if Congress can't pass legislation doing so. In response, Cardenas said the president smiled and said, you're going to like what I do on that. I'm looking to do something on that, and I think you're going to like what I do. So first and foremost, I've got to point out that Cardenas and Democrats in general need to stop lowballing themselves. You don't tell the president, well, at a minimum, you should cancel $10,000. You tell the president you should cancel all student debt. But if you're unwilling to do that, then at a minimum, cancel $50,000. But they always like lowball themselves. Uh, so, I mean, I, I wish that they'd stop doing that. But that's neither here nor there. This would be something that would be huge. This isn't just the president of the United States unilaterally doing a good thing. This is the president of the United States fundamentally changing millions of people's lives. And I don't think that people fully understand the implications of this. This means that my entire generation and Gen Zers for the first time might be able to purchase a car, might be able to move out of their parents' houses, put down a down payment on a home. I mean, this would change their lives. And so if Biden were to do this, I believe this is really the only fundamentally good thing that's massive that a president has ever done in my lifetime. It would just automatically make Biden the best president in my lifetime, just with this one thing, because it's so transformative. And that's not to say that, you know, this isn't Biden righting the wrong since when he was a senator, he made it almost impossible for us to discharge our debt. But for him to right that wrong, to provide people with relief at a time when we desperately need it, 
people are going to remember this. Now, I'm not going to say that if he were to cancel all student debt, this would definitely save Democrats in the midterms. I don't know what is going to be the electoral outcome. But what I can tell you, just speaking from my own experience, if Biden were to do this, it would fundamentally change the way that I think of him, for him to do something good. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I've got to say, I'm expecting at least $10,000 to be canceled because you can't just keep stringing people along saying, maybe I will, maybe I won't. And then you don't like that's just horrible politics. And it's certainly a possibility, right? I'm not going to rule that out. But I think that at a minimum, he's going to cancel $10,000. Now, if he did that, it'd be good. It's better than nothing. But I mean, you're really only wiping out a few years worth of interest, and it's not going to fundamentally change people's lives. What we really need to do is eradicate all student debt. That's where you have the most profound impact. And so, you know, maybe it's $50,000. That's certainly, that's, that's huge, but it's not canceling all student debt. So if he did this, this would be incredibly popular. And Republicans know this, which is why just the mere prospect of Biden actually signing an executive order canceling student debt is making them mauled. So Mitt Romney took to Twitter to denounce his cancellation of student debt, saying, desperate polls call for desperate measures. Dems consider forgiving trillions in student loans. Other bribe suggestions, forgive auto loans, forgive credit card debt, forgive mortgages, and put a wealth tax on the super rich to pay for it all. What could possibly go wrong? Mm, actually, yeah, we should do some of those things. We should at least forgive all medical debt in this country. But sure, let's go further. I mean, this is somebody who literally has an elevator in his mansion just for his cars. So this multimillionaire can't fathom why students want their debt canceled. Mitt Romney's generation, even though he's super wealthy, but his generation did not have to deal with crippling debt after they put themselves through school. You can work at Taco Bell and you can still put yourself through school pay off your student loans, and then purchase a home. I know this because my college professors have told me that it was a lot easier for them to put themselves through college than it is for my generation. So it's incredibly unfair that my generation gets strapped with student debt that Mitt Romney's generation did not have. So I'm sorry that you don't like that Joe Biden might do something popular and you see it as a bribe, but good. I don't care if you think this is a bribe. Doing good things for Americans is why we put you there in the first place. But this goes to show you that Republicans, they don't like what would happen if Democrats actually got their heads out of their asses and started doing good things. Because then they couldn't just focus on the culture war issue stuff. They couldn't just focus on Disney going woke or M&Ms, you know, redesigning their candy mascots to be less sexy. They'd actually have to find some way to distract us from the fact that Biden just gave us a new life. So they don't know how politically they'd be able to compete with that. So that's why they're melting down. More on this. J.D. Vance writes, Forgiving student debt is a massive windfall to the rich, to the college educated, and most of all, to the corrupt university administrators of America. No bailouts for a corrupt system. Republicans must fight this with every ounce of our energy and power. To which David Dole responded saying, Ah, uh, yes, all the rich people have loads of student debt. You are very intelligent. Exactly. Jim Jordan tweeted, Canceling student loan debt is stupid. It's stupid, so don't do it. Okay, well, what's your solution? What's your solution? What do you do? Because this is a massive crisis, and regardless of how much you hate these students who decided to try to better their lives because you all told us that we needed to go to school in order to succeed economically, I mean, what, what do you do? Do you just let that bubble pop? Do you let 
millions of people default on their loans, what do you do? And the answer is, fuck all. Fuck them. Let them suffer. That's the mentality from Jim Jordan and Republicans. They don't want this to happen because they know that it's a good thing that will make Joe Biden very popular. And that scares them. I mean, look, you all could do good things as well, right? Trump could have canceled student debt. Republicans can propose a bill to cancel student debt, but they don't care about ordinary Americans. They couldn't care less about the suffering of millennials who can't afford to buy a home, to even pay their fucking rent. So, you know, I love watching them mauled. Just them freaking out about this tells me that Biden really is considering this. Now, the only way that this can go wrong is if Biden all of a sudden says, you know what, I'm proposing canceling all student debt. Let's do it legislatively because then that's just nothing's going to come up that. So he has to follow through with his pen specifically. And if he does, you'll see a bunch of Republicans squirm because they won't know how to compete with that. They won't be able to compete with something that is incredibly popular. And Republicans know that student loans are a huge scam. In fact, this person responded to Jim Jordan saying, I borrowed around $40,000. Interest brought me over $100,000 in debt. Over the years, I have more than repaid the original $40,000. I still owe over $100,000. We are not freeloaders. We have been scammed by the banks. Right this wrong. Similarly, Michael Sonato shared his balance. He originally took out $73,000, paid back nearly $97,000, but he owes $168,000. So this is an issue that isn't just going to go away on its own. This entire generation, two generations now with Gen Z uh, disproportionately, who's strapped with student debt, we're not all of a sudden going to have enough money to pay off our student loans. It's not going to happen because even if you pay off the original amount that you borrowed, you still can't make up for it with all of the interest. It's a scam. It is a complete scam. So if there isn't executive action, then there's no other way to actually solve this crisis. Now, some other responses that I wanted to share. This is from Brian Tyler Cohen, who writes, hundreds of billions in PPP loans have been forgiven, including for big corporations. Republicans had no issue, but the moment it seems like President Biden might forgive some student loans to help younger Americans and our economy, Republicans are screaming about handouts. And that's exactly it. Ida Bell Wall says, I came from a working class family. My parents took out plus loans and desperate to make something of myself, I took out tens of thousands in student loans. After repaying many multiples of my original debt at 45, I finally paid them off. I'd wish that on no one coming behind me. Exactly. I haven't been able to pay off my student loans. I'm nowhere near paying off my student loans. But if I were lucky enough and privileged enough to be able to pay off my student loans, I wouldn't just think, oh, well, I paid off my loan so nobody else should be able to. Because being able to achieve that is statistically unlikely. I mean, most of us will have this debt until the day we die unless Biden cancels it. So if Biden were to do this, I mean, this entire generation, two generations would sing his praises. And so to dangle this in front of us and not deliver, that would just be cruel. But apparently he's supposed to make an announcement about this before August. It'd be nice if we knew as soon as possible, but I understand that he's trying to maximize the impact of this and, you know, schedule this closer to the election. Okay, whatever, I get it. Play politics off of this. But I mean, just do it. It's a good thing, objectively speaking. It would save a lot of us. It'd be a boost to the economy. Automatically, you have millions of Americans with a lot of purchasing power. All of a sudden, 
more income every single month that they didn't previously have. And we already know that this isn't going to impact the economy in a negative way because with COVID-19, we haven't been making our repayments. So you can't even use that argument. There's no reason to not cancel student debt. So Biden needs to do it. And all of the screeching around him, the fact that Republicans want to stop him from doing this tells me that he might actually do it, but I'm not going to get my hopes up. You know, I'll believe it when I see it, but do this and we will sing your praises basically forever, Joe Biden. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're a deity, but it does mean that we will remember this in election times. And you set a new standard for Democrats. You can prove to other Democrats that doing good things for people, giving them more money is popular. And Republicans know this, hence why they are freaking out. Because if you cancel student debt and give all of us more money in our wallets, nobody's going to give a fuck about woke Disney or woke Netflix or cancel culture. We're going to acknowledge that all the Republicans were saying was a mere distraction from the fact that you just saved an entire generation from crippling debt. Cancel it all, Joe Biden. Just fucking do it. Don't contemplate any longer. Do it, and this will pay dividends for the Democratic Party for quite some time, I'd imagine. So last weekend, Senator Bernie Sanders and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez attended an Amazon Union Drive with union organizer Chris Smalls, who I've got to say is one of the most amazing, most influential people in American politics currently. And what I like is that even though it is the case, as Chris Smalls has explained before, that having support from lawmakers isn't necessarily going to make or break these union efforts. It still is really important to use them as allies because they have power and influence that no one individual organizer is going to have. So Bernie Sanders knows that standing in solidarity with labor means you also have to do more than show up. You have to demand action. Use your platform as a U.S. senator to demand action. So in a nearly 20 minute long speech on the Senate floor where Bernie Sanders railed against Jeff Bezos and Amazon for the whole time, which was excellent, by the way, he explained in great detail the ways in which Amazon has violated a lot of labor laws and they've been guilty of union busting. They've been caught numerous times. So what Bernie Sanders is now doing is calling on the Biden administration to punish Amazon in a very deliberate way for their union busting behavior. But before we get to what Bernie Sanders is calling on Joe Biden to do and how he wants Biden to punish Amazon, I want to just let you see what Bernie Sanders says about the union uh, union busted from Amazon. Because if you haven't been following this story, the ways in which they violated union laws, uh, labor laws, is truly, I mean, they've done everything, right? So take a look at the way that Bernie Sanders breaks it down here. From the very beginning of the union organizing effort until today, Mr. Bezos and his company have done everything possible, legal and illegal, to defeat the union effort. In fact, Amazon workers, in fact, Amazon cannot even come to grips with the reality that workers in Staten Island won their union election fair and square. In order to stall the process out, Amazon's lawyers have appealed that election result to the NLRB. Their strategy, as is often the strategy of corporate interests confronting unions, is to use their incredible resources, their unending amount of money to stall, stall, and stall. In every way possible, 
Amazon is refusing to negotiate a fair first contract with the Amazon Labor Union. In fact, Amazon has been engaged in a massive attempt to undermine the union organizing drive in direct violation of labor laws and regulations. Let's be clear. Amazon has already been penalized more than $75 million for breaking federal discrimination and labor laws. Amazon is currently being sued by the National Labor Relations Board to reinstate a worker who was illegally fired for organizing a union. To date, there are currently 59, 59 unfair labor cases against Amazon pending at the National Labor Relations Board. Several current and former employees at Amazon have alleged that the company has engaged in illegal harassment and discrimination based on race, gender, and sexual orientation. Amazon misclassifies delivery drivers as independent contractors rather than employees in order to evade tax, wage, and benefit responsibilities. Amazon's inadequate workplace safety policies also pose grave risks to workers. If you can believe it, and this really is quite unbelievable, according to a New York Times investigation, Amazon warehouses have a 150% turnover rate, 150% a year. Workers come into the warehouses. They are worked as hard as humanly possible. And then after they are exhausted and physically broken down, they leave. And then a whole new set of workers comes in and the process continues. Further, in some locations, their workplace injury rates are more than two and a half times the industry average. I was in Staten Island on Sunday talking to some Amazon workers, and they tell me that injuries take place every single day, and many of them go unreported. Last December, six Amazon workers died after they were required to continue working during unsafe weather conditions in a warehouse that did not have appropriate safety facilities or policies. So they have explicitly broken the law again and again and again. But yet, even though they've broken the law, even though they've been guilty of union busting, well, they're getting rewarded by the government by very lucrative contracts. And that's not acceptable. So Bernie Sanders has a very simple solution. He's calling on Joe Biden to nix all of these contracts. And that is going to cost Amazon billions and billions of dollars. You see, it's easy to pay a couple of million here and there if you violate labor laws. But when, you know, you cost them billions of dollars, that's going to get them to pay attention. I guarantee it. So here's some highlights from Bernie Sanders open letter to President Biden. Dear President Biden, last September, I was delighted to hear you state that you intend to be the most pro-union president leading the most pro-union administration in American history. As you will recall, during the presidential campaign, you promised to institute a multi-year federal debarment for all employers who illegally oppose unions and to ensure federal contracts only go to employers who sign neutrality agreements committing not to run anti-union campaigns. 
That campaign promise was exactly right. Today, I am asking you to fulfill that promise. Since 2004, Amazon has received thousands of federal contracts worth billions of dollars. The Washington Post, also owned by Mr. Bezos, reported that Amazon is in line to receive a cloud contract from the National Security Agency worth up to $10 billion, a contract that it should not receive as long as it continues to violate labor laws. Another Bezos-owned company, Blue Origin, may also receive a contract from NASA worth up to $10 billion to fly a spaceship to the moon after more than 20 current and former employees alleged that this company repeatedly discriminated against workers and did not adhere to safety protocols. Mr. President, taxpayer dollars should not go to companies like Amazon and multi-billionaires like Jeff Bezos who repeatedly break the law. I urge you to ban companies who break federal labor laws from receiving federal contracts. So this is brilliant for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, this is something that Joe Biden can do unilaterally via executive order. There's no excuse, you know, no Joe Manchin, no Kirsten Sinema, no parliamentarian. This is something that the president can do by himself cancel all federal contracts from Amazon. Second of all, it's brilliant because you are pissing them off. You're cutting into billions in expected revenue for them. That's going to piss off their shareholders most likely. And also it gets them to pay attention, right? Because when they pay millions in fees for federal labor, you know, you know, uh, federal labor law violations, I mean, that's nothing to them. It's like pennies to you and I. Uh, but if you get them to lose billions of dollars in expected profit. Well, that's a completely different story. Now, Bernie Sanders also spoke about this moment in particular and what catalyzed this labor movement that we are seeing, that we haven't seen for decades in this country. And I, I think he nails it here. He explains that really this is, comes down to the greed of these oligarchs like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. While everyone was suffering, working during a pandemic, risking their own asses, these oligarchs got richer. They have yachts, 25 bedroom mansions. So they're so brazen. They're so out in the open about how shameless they are. And they still refuse to pay their workers fair wages and treat them well. And that has all culminated in this moment. You can only get away with that greed for so long until it catches up with you. And that's what's happening. So Bernie Sanders breaks it down in this clip. Mr. President, during the pandemic, last several years, Mr. Bezos, like many other billionaires, did very, very well. In fact, since March of 2020, Mr. Bezos became $65 billion richer in just a couple of years. Huge increase in his wealth. So, Mr. President, if you ask me why people in this country are really, really angry, I will tell you. And that has a lot to do with the reality that in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of the massive economic dislocation that we have seen, we have lost tens of thousands of essential workers, people who live paycheck to paycheck who had no choice. They had to go into a warehouse. They had to go into a grocery store. They had to drive a bus. They had to do all of the things that keep America going and as a result of that, having to go to work, thousands of them contracted COVID and many thousands actually died. And that's what happens when you are an ordinary worker in America living paycheck to paycheck. You don't have a choice. You have got to go to work to feed your family. And during that same period, the billionaires and Mr. Bezos made out like bandits Bezos himself became $65 billion richer. 
Mr. President, Jeff Bezos has enough money to own a $500 million yacht. $500 million yacht. He has enough money to afford a $175 million estate in Beverly Hills. He has enough money to afford a $78 million 14-acre estate in Maui. He has enough money to own a $23 million mansion right here in Washington, D.C., which has 25 bathrooms. So if you're in Washington, D.C., and you have to go to the bathroom, you know someplace that you can possibly go. Mr. Bezos has enough money to buy a rocket ship to blast William Shatner to the edge of outer space. And yet, even though Mr. Bezos can afford all of these mansions and his $500 million yacht and his rocket ship, Mr. Bezos refuses to pay his workers at Amazon decent wages, decent benefits, or provide decent working conditions. And that, Mr. President, is what excessive greed is all about, and that is why the American people are saying enough is enough. Yeah, I mean, billionaires have just become too comfortable in this country. They thought that they can exploit their workers in ruthless ways and then reward themselves with mansions and $500 million yachts and just throw all of that wealth in their workers' faces and get away with it. I mean, you have workers risking their lives. Multiple Amazon employees died during the pandemic. And they still won't treat them well, won't pay them a living wage, won't actually offer them benefits. It's, I mean, what do they expect, honestly, right? I mean, we're all kind of surprised that this labor movement has come back and it's stronger than ever. But I mean, I feel like this was almost an inevitability because of how brazen these billionaire pigs have gone. So look, Bernie Sanders is one of the real ones in Congress and uh, in, in the Senate. And I really appreciate him doing this. Will Joe Biden actually respond? Who knows? But the fact that you have a very popular United States senator telling him to do this thing, which is logical, if Biden actually is going to put his money where his mouth is, We'll see. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll keep you updated on this story if Biden does choose to listen to Bernie Sanders. He absolutely should if he does want to be the most pro-union president in American history. So I haven't spoken much about Blair White on the program before, but for those of you who are unfamiliar with her, she's essentially the transgender equivalent of Dave Rubin. She's a willing, useful idiot for conservatives. She enables their transphobia, endorses usually transphobic things and policies. And I'm assuming, hoping at least, that she gets paid for her services. You know, I feel bad for her. It's honestly sad that she does this and she's willing to throw her own community under a bus, but that's who she is. Basically, a Dave Rubin version uh, for transgender people. So she decided to own the libs or try to own the libs on Twitter following news about Joe Biden's administration potentially canceling uh, student loan debt. So this is what she wrote. Imagine believing a five-year-old can pick their gender, but 18-year-olds can't consent to student loans. So she's playing right into this transphobic trope that we've seen lately with the Republican Party and their propagandists. You know, no one is trans, no child is trans. They're always, you know, indoctrinated into this woke 
gender ideology by their liberal parents. Except my question for uh, Blair White is, this you? When did you feel, if you can remember, when did you feel like something was off? That you um, were supposed to be a girl? Like five. At five? Yeah, I remember being in preschool. Like my, my earliest memories in life were feeling like the only way I can describe is like a very intense misalignment between the way I was perceived and the way I had my self-concept. Um, so I would say five, uh, but obviously I didn't have the words to articulate it at five. Is that so? You realized that you were trans when you were five years old. Let's look at that tweet again. Imagine believing a five-year-old can pick their gender, but 18-year-olds can't consent to student loans. Oh, it's so good. This is amazing because it proves that conservatives have no ideology. They're simply reactionaries, plain and simple. I mean, they think that student loan debt cancellation on the left is a good thing. I think it's bad. What's that leftists think that education should be free? I think that's bad. What's that they also believe that healthcare should be free at the point of service and somebody shouldn't die if they can't afford to get healthcare? That's bad. Socialism bad. It's just, it's astonishing to me. They have no unique beliefs that originate from within them. They have no actual ideas about policy. It's just whatever their opponents want, they fight them and say that's bad. It's just, it's incredible, honestly. It's incredible. Now, what's sad about this situation with uh, Blair White is she thinks that if she can be a useful idiot to the GOP for long enough, eventually they'll accept her. Perhaps she has this warped view of the GOP and she thinks that, you know, if they see me as one of the good trans people, then maybe that will be conducive to broader acceptance of trans people if I can be the example that they prop up. But the problem is that they will never accept you Never, Blair White. And, you know, maybe you're economically conservative and you want to be aligned with the GOP and their propagandists. But the sad fact is they will never, ever support you. They tolerate you insofar as you continue to be useful to them and act as a propaganda tool. You know, if they can point to you and say, well, our transphobic policy is right because this trans person said so, then they'll continue to use you. But the second that you are not useful to them, they'll toss you aside like that because they don't give a shit about you, Blair White. They will never accept you. They're using you as a tool and you're letting them do that. And you're using your identity as a trans woman to make the world a shittier place for other trans people. I just, I don't understand why you do that. And she talks about how, you know, oh, well, 18 year olds can't consent to student loans. As if we have a choice, right? I mean, you think that when we go to college, we think, man, I'm so excited because now I get to get student loans and I, I get to have all this money that I get to pay back. We don't have a fucking choice. It's either you take out the student loans or you don't go to college. That's where we're at in society. Like my family saved zero dollars for me to go to college, right? So I went to community college and then eventually transferred to a four-year university and then grad school. I had to take out student loans in order to get an education. And education is a good thing. We all are entitled to educations. So for you to say, oh, well, you, you chose, you knew what you were doing to take out those student loans, the fuck we did. We had no fucking choice. In this society, every single young person is told, if you wanna be successful, you have to get an education. If you wanna be economically um, just secure in your life, you have to get an education so you get a good job. And then all these young people, they take out these loans to get educations and then they graduate into an economy where they can only find jobs at fucking Walmart or Starbucks. That's the state of the world. So to say that they consented to that, it's just, it's ridiculous. But you, however, you're consenting to being the GOP's useful idiot. And I genuinely feel bad for her because I feel like she probably believes 
that she can actually facilitate greater acceptance of trans people if she puts down trans people and she's like one of the good trans people. I mean, take a look at this clip from 2017. This is a debate between her and Candace Owens on the Dave Rubin show. And look at the way that Candace Owens disrespects her, disrespects her, doesn't even value and acknowledge her basic human dignity. I'm not comfortable using the she pronoun, uh, not because I, it's not anything to be disrespectful. It's just that a lot of people that follow me don't know that Blair is trans and a lot of people that follow her maybe don't know me, vice versa. And I think that it betrays the audience when you make it sound like this is a petty cat fight and there are two girls sitting across from a table when in fact it is a grown man sitting across from a grown woman who has had a lot of things to say about me when I've never even met you or said a negative comment about you. Um, so I just want that to be very clear. Happy to for the rest Super of this. Clear. Yeah, it, it should be Super known. Clear. We're both I, I, adults, you know, you're a grown man. No, no, we're, defi we're definitely adults. I just think it's interesting how you act like you're above the ad hominems and you're above attacking someone when in reality, you and I both know that the situation is you're using those pronouns and you're saying what you're saying, calling me a grown man. That's because, not an attack, that's no, a fact. No, let me finish though. Uh, you're doing that in a way to be passive aggressive and petty, but in a way that your audience doesn't actually read because you do have the very hardcore conservative audience and so they're not really going to read it as petty. Everyone else will. No, though. I don't want them to think that this is a cat fight between two girls. It's not. I'm saying That's that you are. It, no, it's, it's very important because it, it, it really isn't, though. But we can but we can move on because it really isn't about how she dresses me and me. biology I really don't care about that. man. I'm happy to call you That's a she totally for the rest bad. so that we can move on from the pronoun thing. All right. Answer your question. So you're I would say look, she, look, but you look. have to start by calling me a man. OK, you're doing propaganda for people like that, Blair White. That's who you're enabling. I mean, you could be trying to push for tolerance and acceptance, but instead you want to be their useful idiot because I'm one of the good ones. So they can never treat me bad, except you've already experienced them treating you like shit. And now because of things that you tweet saying, oh, well, a, a five-year-old can't possibly be trans, even though you know that that's not true because you've said yourself that you realized that you were trans when you were five. Now people are going to point to that transphobes will say, oh, well, you know what? My child, uh, they're uh, showing signs that they're trans. My son is putting on a dress. So I know that you can't possibly know that you're trans at five. So I'm just going to beat the shit out of them. And, you know, I know that this is the right thing to do because Blair White, a trans person, knows better. And she said you can't possibly be five. So, you know, maybe if I beat my kid, then I could beat the gayness or transness out of him. Like this is perpetually what conservative uh LGBTQ plus people are used for, right? They're used to validate homophobic and transphobic beliefs. And those who actually are serving as useful idiots, I just, I have no respect for them. I feel bad for them. I feel bad for people like Blair White, but you know, she does this to herself. So I love that she, uh, she decided to try to, you know, uh, play to this trope that we're seeing from conservatives that, you know, this ideology, this woke gender ideology is imposed on kids. But yeah, you know, she got debunked by herself when she on Joe Rogan was honest and talked about how, well, yeah, I actually knew I was trans at a very young age. It wasn't imposed on me. Yeah, we know. So you're a liar. You're basically validating what we all suspected, that you're disingenuous. And maybe it's for clicks. Maybe it's for cash. Either way, I don't know how you sleep with yourself at night. Have some self-respect and human dignity. Don't put yourself through this all for clout or a check. Actually challenge their transphobic beliefs. Stop validating them, Blair White. I mean, I, I just, I, I can't fathom sleeping at night knowing that I'm damaging my own community. Well, folks, 
the dream is already dead. <laughs> Yesterday, we talked about how the Biden administration was reportedly planning on canceling a substantial amount of student debt, according to a conversation that he had with members of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. And today he's saying, mm, not so fast. Take a look. Morning Leader Schumer said yesterday that you're, quote, getting closer to using executive authority to cancel up to $50,000 in uh, student loan debt. Can you confirm that? What exactly are you looking to uh, plan to do here in the coming? You mean my uh, spokesman said that? Majority Leader Schumer. Yeah. Um, look, uh, number one, uh, one first thing we did was reform the system that was in place that didn't work for anybody that allowed people to write off debt if they engaged in public service. We have almost a million, 785, don't hold me the exact number, I'll get the number, 700 and some thousand have had debt forgiven, their whole debt forgiven because of their work, working in either as teachers or other means by which they qualify. And we continue to make that easier. Secondly, I am considering dealing with some debt reduction. I am not considering $50,000 debt reduction, but I'm in the process of taking a hard look at whether or not there are going to, there will be additional debt forgiveness. And uh, I'll have an answer on that in the next couple of weeks. So it's most likely going to be the case that he only cancels $10,000. And it's Biden, so he could say, I'm asking Congress to send a bill to my desk to cancel $10,000. He might not even do that with executive action. So <laughs> it's funny. I'm laughing not because this is good news. I'm laughing because we live in such a cruel world. Honestly, if he just waited like a week or two more to deliver us this bad news so I can dream for a little bit longer about what it would be like to not be uh, burdened with this debt, at least that would have been kind of a little bit of a treat. But it's even more cruel because, as the Debt Collective puts it, this sends a clear message to people who have suffered for decades under impossible crushing debt. Yes, I could cancel all your debt. I'm going to demonstrate that I have that power, but I am deliberately deciding to keep you in debt forever. And that's really what this is. If you cancel student debt via executive action, then you're proving that you have the power to do that. So to not cancel at all means you just don't want to. So, I mean, the Republicans pledged to fight. Turns out you didn't have to. Congratulations, you all got this dub. Millions of Americans will continue to remain in debt for the rest of their lives. Nothing will change. I mean, this is what Joe Biden kind of promised us, right? Nothing will fundamentally change. So for him, like the thought of doing something that substantial really was, it did seem too good to be true. And it definitely did bear out that way. So what I'm assuming is going to happen, and this is all speculation, so take that with a grain of salt, is he's going to announce he's canceling $10,000 in student debt, or he's telling Congress to send a bill to his desk that he can sign so he can cancel student debt. And that's when the repayments will resume, right? Because you can't just resume payments without doing something after for so long you've been dragging us along, giving us hope here and there that maybe you do something to ameliorate our suffering. But, you know, who knows? He could just do nothing. He could tell Congress, I want a bill on my desk, not take executive action, and then just resume the repayments and and say, well, look, I told Congress, like, <laughs> this is the Democratic Party. So uh, anything is possible and when i say anything is possible like nothing good is possible but the most comically idiotic scenario bearing out that is absolutely possible you know where he just fucks over students before the midterm election 
and then wonders why nobody came out to vote. I mean, again, like he's he's saying this and he he's seemingly angry at Chuck Schumer as well. I mean, he he didn't express rage at all, but he took a little bit of a jab at Chuck Schumer. He said, oh, my press spokesperson, because Chuck Schumer said that he's closer to getting the president to canceling student debt or that the president was closer to canceling debt, something of that nature. And he didn't like, presumably, that Chuck Schumer said that. But I mean, Chuck Schumer is just doing what he can to nudge Biden in the right direction. You know, for some reason, Chuck Schumer decided to really become a vocal advocate for student debt cancellation. At first, I thought it was a ploy to kind of fend off a progressive primary challenger, but he's still talking about it. And he's not really facing, you know, a primary uh, campaign that's actually uh, competitive. So, you know, he cares about this, uh, apparently, for some reason. And Chuck Schumer is just trying to nudge Biden in the right direction by saying, yeah, he's definitely trying to do it. And the reason why I think Chuck Schumer is doing this, not like pretending that Chuck Schumer is some sort of a strategic mastermind, but if you set that expectation, then it looks bad for the president to not deliver on what the leader of the Senate is saying. So, you know, look, this is kind of what we all expected. I, I said in yesterday's video that I didn't want to get my hopes up. I'll believe it when I see it. And just a day later, Biden's like, mm, no, nah, I'm not canceling $50,000. We went from thinking, wow, maybe he'll cancel all of it. Possibly unlikely, but most likely 50,000 if he's saying a substantial amount. But I mean, who knows? He could cancel like a thousand and be like, well, that's a substantial amount. You're welcome. We just, we don't know. But either way, this is just, it's honestly cruel. Like it feels cruel. Even the part of him breaking it to us this quickly like as i said earlier i just want to dream a little bit just a little bit longer let me dream for a week let me think that maybe it's possible nope can't have that because this is america and um this is <laughs> a country that is going to perpetually disappoint us because we have two political parties that don't give a shit about working people so i mean all of the republicans who were clutching their pearls at the prospect of Biden doing something good, you no longer have to worry. You no longer have to try to come up with some way to convince people that getting rid of their debt is actually bad. So, I mean, he's making the Republicans' jobs easier in November, but it's Biden. So, not really that surprising at the end of the day. Nevertheless, it's still incredibly cruel. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube means tv and facebook you can also find audio versions of the show on spotify apple podcasts soundcloud iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms and before you go consider supporting the show on patreon or through youtube memberships you get early access to most videos invites to monthly live chats with mike and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode there are other ways to support the show you can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.